the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Today, I am excited to be speaking with David Harris from Interm Executive Solutions. David Harris has extensive experience working with nonprofit organizations to develop and implement strategies to improve operations, marketing, board governance, and leadership team effectiveness. He has served as co-chair of Community Action Partners, a consulting organization that provides services to Boston area nonprofits. In that capacity, David has led projects with a diverse set of organizations, including Youth Build Boston, the Benjamin Franklin Institute of Technology, Commonwealth Land Trust, and the Cambridge Center for Adult Education. David recently held interim positions as executive director at the Springfield Empowerment Zone Partnership and president of the Landing School in Maine. Previously, he spent five years as Deputy Director of Teachers 21, a professional development service provider, where he was responsible for strategic planning, business development, finance, and operations. He also provided coaching and consulting services to school and district leaders on business strategies and organizations. Before earning an MAT from Simmons College and entering the education field, David spent 20 years as a senior executive, product marketing manager, and strategy consultant in various computer software and retail organizations. David holds an MBA from Harvard Business School and an SCB in biochemistry from Brown University. Today, David and I will be talking to uh, the, the topic of ensuring your mission survives the pandemic. David. Welcome to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Thanks, Stephen. Uh, it's great to be here. appreciate you inviting me on the program. Well, I'm really happy to have you. You know, when I was preparing for today and I was reading through your intro, it, it, it is really amazing the things that you have accomplished and, and that, you know, you know, are you surprised by it when you when I read the intro to your your background? But, I mean, no, of course, I know you want to be humble, but are you surprised? <laughs> well, I guess if I were uh, sort of mapping out where my life was going to take me uh, back uh, coming out of college, I probably wouldn't have figured out uh, it was coming to this point in time or yeah. through this kind of a winding path. But, uh, you know, life takes you in many different directions and part of uh, – the uh, enjoyment is continuously learning and growing and developing and, and seeing where it does take you. So um, uh, I feel very fortunate. Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like, um, you know, turning it back to like nonprofits or even, you know, when you're running a business, the excitement about not running a nonprofit and a business could, can, can come through change. I think that's absolutely true. I, I've really enjoyed the time that I've spent uh, in the nonprofit sector, which has really been the last half of my career. And uh, just the rewards of working with some amazing people uh, who are really committed to um, making a difference is is really uh, has been energizing for me and has uh, been a, a fantastic um, growth experience. Yeah, so I, I had a really good uh, – I had um, 
a guy on a couple of uh, weeks ago on a podcast and he was he was uh, talking about how the first step in getting used to change or when when it's forced upon you um like the pandemic has been is uh triage and and triage is where you're kind of like think of an ER room where you're just kind of trying to stabilize the patient you're trying to prioritize what's most important and kind of get things you know stabilized and it only comes then at that point then you can start to um figure out uh, if you have to make a change or, you know, what you have to do differently at that point. So, you know, the pandemic now has been going on for six months. Um, when, uh, in, in the work that you've been doing and, and seeing maybe your, you know, the, the nonprofits you work with, or maybe you're a part of, you know, are, uh, are you starting to see people come out of that triage phase? Um. I would say that they are coming out of an initial triage phase, but this is an ongoing process uh, because nobody's quite sure where it's going to end or how it's going to end. People have hopes and beliefs, but we're constantly surprised by new things. I think you make a great point about change um, being such a sort of a shock, if you will, in the nonprofit sector because my experience with nonprofits is that uh, change has not really been sort of foundational in most organizations. They have a mission, they have a focus, it's working, they have programs. Yes, maybe you have to adapt to different funders and, and so on, uh, and maybe some changes in, in the ecosystem in which you're working. But for the most part, it's sort of keep doing what you're doing as long as it's working. But you're absolutely right that this has just thrown all of that up in the air um, we actually think about the work of going through uh, crisis management, and this is fundamental crisis management, as four stages, um, and uh, we call it ACEs. Uh, so the first is assess, where are you, <laughs> what's going on, uh, what, are the, what are the challenges you're dealing with. Then contain, which is really this triage phase, how do I stabilize uh, what I have in some way, shape, or form. And then then you can move on to explore, which is starting to look and say, okay, where are we going to go next? How are we actually going to get ourselves back to sustainability? And finally, the S is for sustain, which is to actually execute on that plan, whatever it may be. So, um, you know, this, this triage or containment phase is absolutely, um, one that, you know, we usually think of as short, but right now I'm seeing organizations continuously re-triaging, if you will, readapting to new information as, as it develops. So, I mean, as part of today's topic, which is ensuring your mission survives the pandemic, I, I guess there's a point at some point after the triage phase and, and even a little longer where people start to say, can we, con can we even ensure, can we continue our mission? That's absolutely right. Um, and I, I wouldn't just say, can we, but how can we? Um, no. Because I think that um, if you, if you take a step back from what nonprofits are are designed to do in the first place. You have a mission, you have a focus of what you're doing, and the work is in service of that. Typically, though, as organizations 
start working on, uh, you know, working with that, you get to a point where it actually becomes more about the organization itself than necessarily about the mission. You know, the people, the staff are a huge stakeholder in, uh, in a nonprofit as of course are whatever clientele you're serving and whoever is funding you. Those are who, who I think of as sort of the three big picture stakeholders, but the staff ends up having a, a significant piece of that. What this pandemic forces you to do and what this triage forces you to do is take a step back and say, well, at the end of the day, it's actually the mission that is uh, supposed to be sort of the driving force in this organization. And that may require that we sort of look a little differently at whether it's the types of the way we deliver our services, the staffing levels, and potentially even whether or not it can be done within our current organizational structure or whether we actually have to look outside for uh, other pathways to make sure whatever that mission is gets um, gets continuously achieved. It's so challenging because, you know, for the nonprofits that I've worked with, um, you know, their staff, you know, there's the mission of the nonprofit and then there's the people who are working at the nonprofit and the people who are working at the nonprofit often is like a separate mission in itself. Um, you know, and it's, it must be really so, so much more difficult for a nonprofit to let go of its people than it would be for like a, a regular business. That's absolutely true. People who are working in nonprofits for the most part, they're there as much for the heart <laughs> as they are for the any the financial benefits. Obviously, they they're making a living, but in many cases, not making the same kind of living they could potentially be doing in the for profit sector. They're there because they care about the mission, for the most part. Having said that, the only way that the that the organization can survive is if it pays attention to its own viability. And so one of the biggest challenges in this pandemic has been making those trade-offs, making those decisions that long-term allow that organization to exist in a way that maybe people that you've had to furlough can come back. Um, I One of the organizations that, that uh, we've been working with chose early on to partially furlough people, they actually benefited because they benefited from the unemployment insurance that had this uh, supplement, this $600 supplement for many months, and were still able to stay connected to the organization working part-time. So they were trying to find that right balance because over time, uh, those situations aren't sustainable. And so you have to make sort of a, a, a call as to whether or not uh, you can keep all the people you want to keep uh, and whether, in fact, the functions that they were doing are still going to be the way that you do business going forward because business models have been forced to change. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the number one rule that I've kind of seen over um – I've been through three recessions now in, in a number of businesses. And and the number one rule is, you know, live to fight another day. And, you know, sometimes you have to retrench. You have to take a step back. Um, but it doesn't mean that that's always going to be that way. And, you know, the, you know, sometimes you make those decisions. They're really hard decisions. But, you know, if you're looking at the mission 
of your nonprofit and you're kind of sticking to the guns of, hey, you know, this is what we were originally founded on. We have to keep trying to stick to our mission that eventually the uh, the people that you, you know, maybe have to let go, you know, like you said, you might be able to bring them back. I think that's the hope in many instances. It means that it's really important in going through this decision-making process that, uh, you know, executives have inev- executives actually and boards collaboratively have inevitably had to go through during this particular uh, pandemic um, need to be really transparent and communicative about what's going on. Because I think that um, if you are open and honest with staff about these realities, they may not like it. It may not really uh you know be something that they can immediately sort of embrace but at least they understand and they understand that you do care about them you do care about the sustainability the 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 long-term viability of the organization um and that this is sort of a these steps if you have to take them are necessary to ensure that that organization is going to be able to continue to do whatever the good work it's doing going forward so if you, like, if you had to kind of set a blueprint of how to ensure um, a nonprofit's mission survives a pandemic, you know, what would that blueprint look like? Well, I think the, the, uh, the first thing is that you have to uh, be realistic as to where you are. And you have to be realistic as to um, what the various stakeholder groups are willing to support. So we've talked about staff. Uh, a key stakeholder group, obviously, are the clients that you're serving. So are these clients who have, you know, immediate needs that you need to just provide in a different way? Obviously, there are social service organizations for which that's true. There are other organizations that are more in the culture and arts organization world where it's sort of less so uh, that, that, and in fact, their needs might actually be changing as to how they want to consume whatever uh, cultural offerings you're, you're trying to provide them. And then there's a third stakeholder group that the funders who invested, if you will, in you for a particular purpose with a particular outcome. And some of it has gone back and saying, well, given the current circumstances, now what's important to you? And actually, I've been amazed how many funders are willing to say, well, we came with this in mind, but we're going to stay with you and we're going to take off the constraints as to what it is we're asking you to do. We want you to do what's in the be- what you think is in the best interest of the organization right now. That That's happened in a lot of a lot of cases. So the first is, is to do that assessment. Um, and it's also to sort of get your arms around the data, knowing truly where you are, starting to manage cash flows and, and uh, on a more um, intentional and shorter term basis. So you know where you stand, you know what you can do. Yep. The second piece I, I would say then is to uh, start to look at where your opportunities 
might be. There are ways we can get things done that perhaps we weren't doing before that could allow for more efficiencies. And there are a number of different ways that you can can look. Obviously, how you deliver services is the most obvious ones, but you know other places that you can uh, really find some cost savings. Maybe it's through some through some cost sharing with other organizations. Um, maybe it's through um, other kinds of uh, outsourcing or, or various things that um, might allow you to reduce some of your fixed costs. Um, and then there's the opportunity to look for um, partnerships for growth. You know, are there other organizations that perhaps we should be looking to to either work together on fundraising because we're both in the same area, but we don't really compete, but we could tap into each other's uh, funders one way or or another. Um, So starting to do that landscape assessment, I think is the next step. And then ultimately figuring out, okay, on a long-term basis, where, where might we best be able to find a, a, uh, a point of, of sustainability. And, and uh, for some organizations, we've actually found that that ultimately uh, means looking to, to mergers. Uh, for other organizations, it's looking to um, sort of right-size the, the business model so that you can do um, as much as possible towards achieving that mission. Have have you been a part of or seen um, where someone decided when they were doing the first step, which is the is the mission still achievable? Have you ever seen somebody, um, a, a nonprofit or an executive director or a board, determine that their mission is not achievable anymore? Because that must be really hard. Absolutely, it is hard. Um, I would say we have seen that, and. Um, Interestingly enough, I would say in many instances, it was true before the pandemic hit, Mm. but nobody really wanted to take a hard look at that. (laughs) So um, the reality, we we were talking earlier about the the fact that your staff starts to become sort of a a key constituency. So we're doing what we're doing. And as long as people are willing to fund it, we'll continue to do it. But maybe those needs had changed. Um, uh, one example is an organization that, that was in the business of adult education. And um, adult education, if you think about the plethora of choices now as to how you and I can get uh, information and, and do new learning, is just so much broader than it was maybe 30 years ago when it used to be people got together and had a small class on a, in the evening and what have you. And so um, the business model was still being pursued, but these kinds of circumstances force a reevaluation because at the end of the day, it really wasn't working that well, but there wasn't a need to change. Yeah, 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 I get it. Yeah. So um, now recently, um, it's I, I still feel like it's kind of early in the pandemic. I know you alluded to it before you saw it before the pandemic, but are, are there any associ- uh, organizations right now that you're seeing that 
are making um, making a change with their mission because of the pandemic? Well, there are certainly some that have uh, redefined, if you will, what that mission means in some way, shape, or form. Um, so they it's not that they're necessarily taking a complete different turn, but they are putting their emphasis in a slightly different direction. Um, an example uh, is an organization that was focused on, still is focused on, really helping students learn how to learn by dealing with a lot of the challenges that we have in in um, uh, areas such as executive function, meaning um, you know uh, organization of. Uh, problem solving, the various things that we sort of hope kids know how to do, but many don't. Obviously, you go to a virtual environment and organization time management, those kinds of things, all of a sudden become far more prescient than they were uh, in a classroom where a teacher is there guiding you. So they really took their programs uh, more online uh, in a way that gave teachers tools for helping their students uh, and structuring the learning of their students in a very different way than it might have been in the classroom. Um, and they've actually, they're actually an interesting example of an organization that even though uh, these circumstances put a lot of pressure on the organization, they've actually made a commitment to, to grow and to capitalize on some of these new um, issues or these new strategies. So they actually took out uh, um, a loan so that they could bring in more talent and provide more um, fuel, if you will, to try to address this new market Again, under the same fundamental mission, but with much more of a focus on um, sort of a, a, a new model for how to achieve that mission. Yeah, I, I mean, I would imagine prior to the pandemic that sometimes, you know, like the board and the executive director, they'll, you know, review the mission once a year at the end of the year. Um, but they probably don't spend much time on the mission because it's potentially it's been there for a very long period of time you know like maybe they'll go over it and say okay you know just everybody this is our mission everybody you know understands it yep okay now let's move on to fundraising and let's move on to um how we're gonna you know uh continue to implement our mission so i guess the pandemic now is refocusing so much more on okay is this the right mission um, you know, can we achieve it? Uh, is, is, has things changed in the real world? Forget the pandemic for a second. I mean, the thing that you just mentioned is, you know, are more kids learning online now than offline, you know? So I guess there's a real focus on the mission statement anyway, right now. For sure. I think having clarity about what you're all about is, is more important now than ever. I think it's okay to be able to say, we're not quite sure how we'll achieve this, but you have to be clear on what it is you're seeking to achieve. Funders want to know that you have that clear focus. Um, 
the staff needs to be directed in a way that they can put their energies uh, in the right way. And you make the point that it's really the board that at the end of the day own the mission of an organization. And it is often not really talked about and brought to the surface, but it should always have been something that was regularly revisited. But now more than ever, it's a it's an absolute must. Do you find that it's the executive director that will review the the mission statement with the board, or do you find that's like the the, ch- the board chairman or someone on the board who will want to visit the mission statement? I think in a well-run nonprofit organization, the board uh, take will take responsibility um, for leading that process, or at least co-leading that process with the executive director. Um, I do think often um, the board cedes that responsibility to an executive director, um, and that can be dangerous because at the end of the day, uh, the uh, board ultimately is left left holding that mission, uh, even the executive director may turn over. So, um, but amongst the organizations that I'm, I'm seeing uh, and working with right now, um, the boards really are taking that responsibility seriously and recognizing that they uh, at least have to co-create that um, with the executive director. But really the executive director is there uh, is their instrument, if you will, for execution, and that's the way that's the way it really should be. So let's say you you're an executive director, and um, and nobody on the board is taking ownership of the mission statement, and you, as the exec, executive director, of course especially after listening to today's podcast, you feel that that needs to be revisited. Would you just kind of bring it up in the next meeting and say, listen, I've been thinking a lot about our mission statement and I think we really need to, you know, take a close look at this and see if we can still achieve it. Or would you kind of go to like someone on the board and kind of have an offline conversation, letting them know what you're thinking and, and, you know, let them run with it. I think the first stop is the board chair and uh, the executive director uh, hopefully has a good relationship and has a regular dialogue with the board chair. Um, And I think that's where you start and you probably bring them some choices and you probably come with the idea that here's what I'm seeing, here's what we're doing, but here's potentially what we could be doing. But that requires us to step back a little bit from our current mission and rethink how we can have the most impact going forward and how we can um, put ourselves in a, uh, in, a, in a position of sustainability. So I think the, the executive director sort of has to come to a board chair with that if they're not seeing that the board is grappling with these questions themselves. Um, and then the board chair let you know can work with them to orchestrate how to bring that conversation to uh, either the executive committee or the entire board. Yeah, I get you. So, I mean, so far, based on the things you've talked about, we've talked about, you know, is the mission still achievable? 
know the data, for example, like cash flow and the, you know, all the numbers associated with that, your expenses, your revenue, all those other things. Um, then look at, you know, what are the opportunities? Uh, are there opportunities for cost savings, outsourcing, growth opportunities? Um, and then uh, what we talked a little bit about was, you know, clarifying your mission statement and potentially redefining your mission statement. What, what else would you say that someone would do, especially during this time of pandemic, which is kind of forcing everybody to really look at the mission statement much closer? What else would you suggest? Well, I think the other thing to um, consider is um, to look at, again, the sort of the broader um, set of problems of which you are a part in solving them and to ask the question is there something that can be done by um becoming part of something bigger meaning uh you know sort of gaining critical mass by connecting organizations that are either serving the same clientele or serving in the same uh, so providing the same kinds of services, maybe in uh, in contiguous geographic areas or what have you. If you can become part of something bigger, you can often have uh, a much higher probability of of uh, survival and 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 growth. And so, again, I don't think we typically do these kinds of landscape analyses on a regular basis because we're happy doing what we're doing. But if there was a time to do it now, now would be it. And in some situations, I'm actually finding that funders are driving that. So they will say, well, you know, rather than sort of spreading out our funding to a bunch of different organizations, maybe we should sort of consolidate and and go bigger on a smaller number of organizations. You want to be one of those that they choose, and you're going to do that by positioning yourself with the greatest potential for achieving that, uh, achieving those goals. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of change, right? There is change is now all of a sudden the constant, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. um, as I said earlier, I think that if there's one challenge that nonprofits have that for that is makes them different from for profits, it's that they've traditionally not been good at change. Whereas for profit organization, they look at the bottom line, and if it's not working, they pivot, they change, they do what they need to, and they've got that they've got that sort of anchor of well, listen, this is what it takes to, to continue to drive bottom line. Um, so I do think that if I was a, an executive director, um, you have to really think about change management and look at some of the models of how to affect change in your organization, how to bring people on board, how to be inclusive, how to really communicate a plan, and then how to pursue that plan and get really good at that. Because if you're really good at that, you can survive almost anything. When, when, when um, David, when someone goes to bring you on to as a consultant to help their organization, um, typically, you know, what are some of the reasons? Well, in our organization, most of the situations we're involved in are ones 
where in fact there is a, a transition going on at the executive director level. And so um, it's either because the executive director has chosen to leave or because the board has identified that the things are not working the way they want to. So they are looking for uh, us to come in as professionals to do these kinds of assessments and then execute on a plan to get them to a place where that organization is attractive to to the next executive director and does have some of these sort of um, foundational supports in place to ensure that that person has the highest probability of being successful in that role. Um, so the nice part about it is rather than consulting and saying, here's here's what you should do, we actually help them do it and uh, bring the skill sets to be able to do it. Yeah, yeah. I gotcha. All right. Well, it's all great stuff. And, you know, I think, um, although a lot of organizations might go through, you know, it's very challenging, certainly, like you said, it, it also can be a, an opportunity for someone to take a step back and say, you know what, this is an opportunity for us to grow and change and uh, redefine what we are as well. So, I, you know, I would like to thank so very much David Harris from Interm executive solutions. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. If you like today's podcast, please give us a review on your podcasting app to help us get the word out about the nonprofit MBA podcast. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862 207 4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. David, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how can they reach you? Yes, um, you can reach me at dharris at interim hyphen exec ec exec.org um, and you can visit our website www.interim hyphen exec.org great david thanks it was a great podcast we really appreciate you coming on and to our our listeners out there i just want to thank you for all making the world a much better place thank you thank you